Father, we thank you this morning that you are on your throne and that you have sent Christ to take on flesh and to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But Father, we thank you that in that death, you've exalted Christ. You've given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so this morning, Father, I pray that you would awaken our cold hearts that you would open our deaf ears so that we could listen afresh and anew to the words of life. Father, you are the only one that has the words of life. So I pray that you would do a work that we cannot do this morning. Use Andy as your mouthpiece. Use your word and your spirit to plant your word deep in our heart that it would take root and grow and bear fruit for your glory. So Father, we pray that you would do that work. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. So if, uh, if everyone could uh, please turn to John 6, I want to start off by just having us read the passage um, here in John 6 that we're going to be talking about, <clears throat> so I'll give you a minute to get there. Um, it was just very appropriate that uh, we sang the song, Lord, I Need You, this morning because uh, this story is... Um, all about um, needing the Lord. There's, there's um, this miracle was is completely dependent on the Lord, and I think that is what the Lord. Uh, why this happened? I'll explain that throughout this morning, and um, uh, just a bit of like um, trivia. Um, this is the only miracle that appears in all the four Gospels, and uh, which is interesting. Um, actually, I didn't really know that until I discovered that while I was preparing uh, this, uh, for this message. And, um, but I think it's uh, important that uh, God thought it was uh, important that this uh, story be in all four Gospels, and I think uh, there's a reason why for that, and, and I, I mean, I'll share my opinion of that uh, later. Uh, but let's, let's start by reading this. I'll, I'll start here. John 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which, in, which is the Sea of Tiberias. <clears throat> and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing what a large crowd that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to eat a li- to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments, from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. 
When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus went, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Um, so I am going to share this morning uh, basically three sections that I'll call um, the backstory, the test of faith, and the outcome. And um, to get all of, to really um, understand the whole story and what's going on here, um, you really need to read the story in the other Gospels. You need to read what's going on in Matthew that precedes this. You need to read what's going on in Mark and Luke and John because John kind of just focuses on the miracle itself. Um, the other Gospels have bits and pieces that fill in the blanks, okay? So, um, so let me give you the backstory um, that you don't see here in, in John, but you, you see it in some of the other Gospels here. Um, what happened that preceded this before you know, they went away on this little journey is that John the Baptist was beheaded, and uh, John's disciples had come and told Jesus of John's death. You see that in, in Matthew. Um, in some of the other Gospels, you also see that Jesus um, had sent the disciples off um, in pairs where he gave them authority to cast out demons and heal the sick. So this had also preceded uh, this miracle where they were getting away. Um, so um, basically, this is just you know how I you know see it happening is that Jesus learned of John's death. Um, and, uh, as you know, a lot of, uh, Jesus's disciples were formerly, uh, John's disciples as well. So they, uh, would have heard about John's death as well and, and would have been sad and, and grieving over that. Uh, and at the same time, you know, they were also elated over this, what they were seeing God do through them in all these sending them out and seeing miracles happen in Jesus' name through them, healing the sick and uh, casting out demons. I mean, I can't imagine what that would be like if, if, uh, if you experienced that, you or I experienced that uh, before our very eyes. And so um, it says in Mark, and I'll probably uh, use a lot of... Uh, this story from Mark to fill in the blanks that are missing in John. Um, It says in Mark that um, Jesus thought at this time it was a good time for them to get away and, and have some time for rest. In fact, I'll, I'm just going to read this. You don't have to turn there, but in Mark, um, Mark uh, six, six 30, it says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done. This is after he sent them out in pairs and they were, they were seeing these miracles happen before their eyes. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And this desolate place was here on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. For many were coming and going and they had no time even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Um, now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot 
from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So um, as you can see, uh, they were going away to have a little bit of rest and refreshment, um, but uh, their plan was kind of thwarted there. But um, uh, as I go through this story, um, I'm going to take a lot of time to um, interject some what I see as applications from it because um, I think in my understanding of this story, uh, the biggest application overall is that God just wants to show that he is adequate in our inadequacy. Okay, and um, that's the main reason why I see that this story comes up in all four Gospels. Um, And um, when I see that in Mark, where it says that Jesus said, let's go away and rest for a while, uh, because they were so busy uh, that they hardly had time to eat. Um, Can anybody identify with that? I mean... I sit there and think, you know, sometimes we use the excuse, we're like, oh, you know, we live in a different time than they did. You know, we're in the information age and, you know, we have very busy lives and things of that nature. And, um, and we do. Uh, granted, I mean, I, I, I would dare say that you all have felt at times that like you're so busy, your lives are so busy that you hardly have time to eat. I mean, can you... Would you say that? I, I think you would, okay? But um, the application I have here is, I mean, what was Jesus, why were they so busy, right? I mean, what they were, just imagine for yourself what it would be like if you were a disciple of Jesus and you were hanging around him all the time, right? And people were pressing in, they were always trying to get a piece of Jesus, you know, mainly because they wanted healing or they wanted, they wanted something from him. So imagine yourself being a disciple of Jesus and being with him, and he is just pouring himself out for people, and um, they hardly had time to eat. So, you know, I think of, as I was thinking of this, I was thinking of my life and feeling how I'm busy, busy, busy. But what was Jesus busy about? Um, he was busy about his father's business, okay? Um, you know, he, he, he established that back in, in early in Luke when he was 12 years old, right? And they went to the temple and his parents were like, where's my son? And he said, Don't, didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? Um, so Jesus was all, he was about his father's business. That's why, that's what he was busy about. He wasn't busy about, you know, um, watching his favorite TV programs, you know. Uh, and then later on in, in, in John 4, when we talked about the woman at the well, he said his food was to do the will of him who sent him. And so my, my, uh, my question is, is this, is this our mentality? And, uh, I'm, and I'm not talking about like, uh, let's burn ourselves out to death. I'm just talking about um, in, in our fast-paced lives, um, I think it would serve us well to periodically take a look at what we are busy about and have a dialogue with the Father and make adjustments as necessary to ensure that we are being busy about the right things. Okay, 
So that's, that's kind of the application that I'm, I'm taking from this is, is they were busy, and, um, and it's not bad to be busy per se, but are we busy about the right things? Um, because I know that we can, you know, from year to year to year look back and just go, wow, that was a busy year, but what, what, you know, what was accomplished? Was it eternal things, you know? So periodically take a, do a gut check there and see if you're busy about the Father's business, see if you're doing the will of him who sent you, or if we're just busy, if this world, if we're just busy about worldly things. Um, so another thing here in this passage is, um, again, getting this from Mark, is that Jesus understands the need for a time to rest and recharge um, he understood that um, there was a time of grieving, understanding that uh, um, you know that learning of John's death, le- understanding that there's a time uh, after emotional highs and lows. Here, are these guys, you know, you know, they were on an emotional high after seeing, you know, God demonstrate His power through uh, through their uh, through their ministry uh, of Him giving them the authority to cast out demons and. And heal the sick and uh, emotional lows of learning about John's death. Um, and sometimes when serving others is going at a frenetic pace, which it was going, which I talked about, that they didn't have time to eat. So Jesus understands the need for a time to rest and recharge. That's what I'm talking about. He's not, he's not into just burning us out and, you know, till we end up in a, in a crazy home. Um, so it's not wrong to schedule times to rest and recharge. I want to establish that. It's not wrong to, to um, schedule times to rest and recharge. Okay, um, but I want to set, set you up with that because, you know, you, you see what happens next here. Um, so what happens next is they were going away to rest and recharge, right? But, but what happened? Um, their plan was interrupted. Okay, it was it was interrupted by people. Darn those people! You know, um, they went ashore, and oh, here's these people here. I mean, what, they're getting in the way of our plan. Um, so. Uh, you know, they, here they're going to this desolate place, and you can picture of some places that you'd like to go to to rest and recharge, you know. Some people like to go to Colorado and go to Estes Park, maybe. Some people might like to go to a lake, a serene lake, you know. Some people might like to go to the beach, to the ocean, you know, and walk walk along the, the seashore. Um, but this is Jesus' response, he felt compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. He also healed their sick. So the question is, um, when this happens in our lives, um, do we put people's needs above our comfort? And that's what Jesus was doing here. Um, and um, are we flexible? Um, I, I think this just sometimes this depends on uh, people's personalities 
in, in some ways, not necessarily always, but um, I am a person who, I, I'm a box checker. I'm a person that, I'm an idealist. Things have to be, they have to be this way. And every week when life didn't go the way I wanted it to go, every week I have a new plan to make, like this week it's going to go right. So um, I'm, I'll just say I'm a very like, flexibility is not a strength. Can anyone, I mean, identify like, it's just like they don't like flexibility. Okay. Uh, I think some of my children are that way. Uh, they just, they need a plan. I need a plan and I need that plan to work out or else it drives me crazy. And now I, over the years, I've gotten much better at it, but Boy, it just sometimes the struggle of the plan being upset can just ruin, you know, hours and and, and days. Okay, so um, here was a definition I found of flexibility that I really liked. Okay, flexibility, not setting my affections on ideas or plans which could be changed by God or others. Flexibility, not setting my affections on ideas or plans which could be changed by God or others. And um, I, I think, uh, you know, the verse in Colossians 3, 2, it says, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Well, things on the earth are my plans. <laughs> things above are God's plans. And his plans might, it says in Proverbs, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So it's not wrong to plan, but to have that plan be, here's my plan, Lord, but I'm open to you changing it. And I can only imagine that some of these disciples might have been like me, and they had a real struggle with, when they saw these people over there, they were like, are you kidding me? I mean... We were coming to get away for, they had expectations that uh, were not met. Um, I'll just give you a personal example. Um, I um, Last week I had to go on a business trip from Tuesday to Thursday. And on Monday, I think it was Monday afternoon, my wife uh, called me and said, Hey, did you know... Um, a friend of ours is in the hospital, and um, and I and I knew I, I he's he's got kidney failure, and I mean I, I know that, and, and he was down to like a hundred pounds, and honestly I don't know how much longer he has to live, and um, in my heart I knew, I mean God was bringing verses to my mind when I was sick, you visited me. And I knew I need to go visit him tonight. I mean, I've got to get ready for this trip. I'm probably not going to get out of work till late, but I've got to go visit him tonight, even though I really want to be home and spend time with my family because I'm getting on a plane tomorrow morning and I'm not going to be home till Thursday night late. But um, that was that was it was it was a struggle because it was, um, but that was a situation where God was like. This is what you need to do. And so, um, so anyway, I, I did it, and I was glad I did it. And 
it was good. And, and my friend, I'm sure he was, he was happy I, I visited him. And um, so um, anyway, uh, but, but those situations will come up. So that's just people's needs come before um, our comfort. Um, so that's, that's the backstory. Um, so now comes the test of faith. Um, so as the day of ministry and serving the multitude of people wears on, the disciples start to think ahead as to how dinner is going to be taken care of. And um, you got to understand, like the Bible just talks, it normally talks about when it says 5,000 men, it's excluding women and children. But if you add them in, we're talking, we could, we could be up to 10,000 people here. Okay, uh, it, it's definitely more than 5,000. Um, but let's just say it could be 5,000 plus, okay? Um, so they come to Jesus and they say, and again, this isn't in John, but you see it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, they all say, this is a desolate place and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So um, that seemed like a reasonable plan in their minds. I mean, just, you know, our day of ministry is done. Send them to go home and, and we're done and we can get back to our little vacation. Um, but here's where the test comes in. He answered them and he said, you give them something to eat. Um, I'm just going to take some liberty to tell you how I think the exchange might have gone down. Um, the disciples might have talked amongst themselves saying, how in the world are we supposed to do that? You, we give them something to eat? I mean, look at, look at all these people here. Why didn't he send the people home before now anyway? It's like late. Um, hey, Judas, since you're the treasurer, how much money do we have in that money bag? Um, I thought we came here to get away for some rest. What are we doing? Why, why don't we just tell these people to go home and, and get on with our vacation? But then Jesus comes in with a, a test question for Philip, as he probably you know, sees them struggling with his, his first command, you give them something to eat. Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And I see this question as a test on so many levels, because I think Philip knows there's no place to buy bread where they are. They're in a desolate place. Um, the hour is late. They're, even if they try to walk somewhere to buy bread, the stores might be closed by the time they get there. They might not get back in time, and it, it's, it's even later. Um, and he knows they probably don't have enough money to buy bread for all those people, even if they could. So after Philip finds out from Judas how much money they have in the money bag, Philip's answer reveals the disciples' inadequacy to fulfill the request. 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So then Jesus responds with, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. So at this point, you need to see what's going on here. Jesus not only knows what he will do, and I'm going to share this verse. This is a key verse here in John 6. This is like the key verse to me in John 6. Um, verse 6. 
when he first asked him, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Verse 6, Jesus said, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. He himself knew what he would do. And I'll explain this in a minute. Jesus not only knows what he will do, he also knows how he will do it. The disciples did not know what he was going to do, and they did not know how he was going to do it. So Andrew responds, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So Andrew's response again reveals his feeling of utter inadequacy to fulfill Jesus' request to feed the people. Jesus says, Bring them here to me. So, key on those words that Jesus said, he knows what he was going to do. Do you ever feel like you're in a desolate place? Or do you ever feel like the hour is late in circumstances that you're in? Um, I know I do an awful lot. And... um, I think when we're in those situations, we need to first understand that God has allowed us to get to these places like he did the disciples in this story. If you think about it, um, Jesus had them get in a boat to go to a certain location. And then he had this situation happen to where he controlled the time of the ministry to happen to where the hour would be late. And then he asked them to do something that they couldn't do, okay? Um, So he allowed them to get into this situation where they would be in this circumstance that they could not do, that they were inadequate to fulfill. So was Jesus unaware of this situation? No. Um, Is he unaware of the situations that you and I face when we are in a difficult circumstance, when we are in some situation uh, at our jobs, in our family, with our children, with our spouses, no, he's not. Um, so to me, the, the verse in John 6 should be one of the most comforting verses really in the Bible for all of us. For he himself knew what he would do. If and when we find ourselves in a desolate place and the hour is late, know this, that he himself knows what he will do. Um, he, he always does. He always knows what he will do, and he also knows how he's going to do it. Okay? Um, but I will say this. When you are in a desolate place, um, just one short example. Well, there's been times at my job that I've been in desolate places, and I will say this. Sometimes... You can be in a desolate place for a long time, okay? So, I mean, in this story, it happened in a day, okay? Sometimes God might have you be in a desolate place for a long time. And why do you think that is? It might be because he is Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He is doing a work in you. He is doing a work in you to, uh, to uh, bring you to complete maturity of Christ-likeness. 
Um, we talked about that the one time we talked about sanctification. Um, James 1 says, let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So in my um, understanding, this is why he brings us to desolate places. And um, so he's going to keep us in those places as he is bringing us to that perfect uh, maturity. Um, because what is precious to God it's our faith, okay? Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And if we could go through all of life completely on our skills, our logic, our um, abilities, our ingenuity alone, apart from faith, um, then, I mean, then there's we're not pleasing the Father because without faith, it is impossible to please him. So could it be that this is why we may find ourselves in desolate places sometimes? And um, I feel like in, in my own personal uh, life, I, I will find myself in places, and at those times, God is saying, uh, now that I have your attention, um, you need to get on your knees. Now that I have your attention, um, about our relationship, um, because where have you been, you know? <laughs> Um, so now that, now that, now that I have you in this desolate place, uh, can we talk? So, um, that, that, this is, um, my understanding of this. So are you thinking, I can't believe these guys, they've witnessed firsthand water turn into wine, demons cast out, people healed. Did they forget about all of those things? Or was this situation just too big for their faith to believe that Jesus could, do something about it. Um, I've been here before. It's like I've experienced the power of God in my life in the past, but in the present situation I'm facing, I forget about those experiences, or I believe this one is just different. Okay, And by different, I'm kind of deep down thinking it's too big for God. And I'm sure that you guys have been there before too. You know, it's like uh, you're facing a situation, you're like, yeah, but... Uh, I mean, you don't say that. You don't say that out loud, but you think it deep down that like, yeah, I don't think he can do anything about this one. Um, but he's trying to bring us to a point and a place where our faith grows. Um, so, Or maybe you do believe God can handle it, but you do this thing that I often find myself doing. And, and just see if you identify with this. It's, it's kind of crazy. But, um, and I, I need to stop doing this. I found myself doing this just the other week and, and, and in preparation for this. And God was like, no, get the lesson from this story, Andy. Um, I not only know what I'm going to do, but I know how I'm going to do it. Okay, so I find myself in a desolate place, and I believe God can handle it, but I'll be praying about the situation, and, and, and I'm praying for the outcome will come about, for the desired outcome, but then I'm praying how it will come about. Okay. So I'm praying for the desired out. It's kind of like if I'm in a bad situation at work and, and I want to get out of this, you know, God, please get me out of this job situation. Please get me in a, but then I pray like, I want you to do it this way to where that manager moves on and then you get a new manager over me and then this, but, but God's thinking like, why are you praying for how I'm going to work it out? You know? I know how I'm going to work it out. Just 
leave, leave that up to me, okay? It'd be like if these guys were like, God, um, I don't know how you're going to do this, but uh, we pray that the people will be fed, but would you rain down manna from heaven? Or would you increase the money from 200 denarii to 1,000 denarii so then we can go buy bread? And he's like, and then they're just waiting, waiting, waiting for the 200 denarii to suddenly appear to 1,000 denarii, and they're, they're going to be waiting you know, for the rest of their lives because he's like, not how I'm going to do it. So just, you know, um, leave the how to him because he said, when you pray, pray, um, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He didn't say to pray how he's going to do it. Leave that up to him. Okay, so I'm sure we can all identify with the disciples like I can that you would have been doubting that one, there was a way that the people were going to be fed and two, that Jesus was going to do it by multiplying bread and fish. The last thing here in just a minute is the outcome. And I think what's interesting here is that this story in some ways um, parallels Psalm 23. You know, um, I mean, Jesus had it happen. It was near the Passover time which is in the springtime. It talks about in the other Gospels that there was a lot of green grass around. He had the people recline when he fed them. And um, what does Psalm 23 say? It says, "Um, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Um, He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Um, He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He was teaching them that day. He was feeding them. He was a shepherd. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. They were reclining in the green grass. And, um, and lo and behold, one of the outcomes was the people at the end were like, they saw this miracle, and they're putting two and two together, and they're saying like, this is the prophet. And, um, but the outcome I have here is that Jesus blessed what was given, and it multiplied it satisfied, and it provided leftovers. It exceeded the need, which goes along with the verse in Ephesians 3.20 that says, he will do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Um, And in three of the Gospels, it says, and they all ate and were satisfied. So there were 12 basketfuls were filled with the leftovers. The miracle was noticeable by the people. John 6.14, this is indeed the prophet um, and uh, Jesus appeared to be expanding the size of people that he was revealing his deity to. Um, and I'm sure as we get further into John, we're going to see this continue to go on here. So some final applications. Um, <clears throat> God is completely adequate always, even when we are not. <clears throat> and I want to make, I just really want to focus on this one point here. Um, it says when, when, he, when they said, like, well, we have these five loaves and these two fish, he said, bring them to me. And he looked up to heaven and he blessed. Uh, let me see how it says it in, in, in Mark here. Um, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. <clears throat> we absolutely absolutely need God's blessing. We desperately need him to bless what we give. So what do we have without God's blessing? Five loaves and two fish. So what do we have with God's blessing? 
multiplied food, satisfied people, and even leftovers. And so I was just thinking, if nothing else we take from this story is what we can give to God every day, we need to pray that he would bless. We need to pray that he would bless. We, we need his blessing desperately. Um, and we need to do what he says. Okay, we need to listen when we're in these desolate places because he said, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. And then pray for his blessing. Beware of asking him to bless something that you are doing that he has said to not do or that may be in a different direction than he is leading. So um, I just put that in there because, again, like if we're praying for him to bless something that, you know, hey, make, uh, would you bless by causing manna to rain down from heaven like you didn't? No, I'm not going to do that because I didn't ask you that. I asked you to give me the five loaves and the two fish, and that's what I'm going to bless. Okay. Um, as your faith is tested, do the following. <clears throat> Leave the outcome to him. Give what he asks of you. Like just me going to visit my friend on Monday night. I, You know, whatever purpose that served, whatever the outcome of that was, just give what he asks of you. Listen to him and do what he says. And then third, trust his plan through the process. Trust his plan through the process. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this this miracle that you did. And um, thank you for all the lessons that are revealed in it. Thank you that you are wholly adequate, not just then, but you are wholly adequate today and every day. And may we just trust you, Lord. May we trust you in our situations that we face really almost every day uh, we might find ourselves in desolate places and the hour is late. And I pray, God, that we would listen to you and give you what you ask and then ask you to bless it, Father, and then leave the outcome to you and then trust your plan through the process. Father, I just pray that you would um, show us your power then as you did here, Father, And we would rejoice in seeing you work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So now the children can be dismissed. And um, we're going to break down into the small groups.